When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. And today, what do you know, Chris? We're only in the Marvel Universe, which is very exciting. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm doing so good. I'm excited to kind of unveil this. It's not really an unveiling. We've done something similar, but now that MCU is back in the movies and we have found a little bit of extra time it's time to bring this edition of fury's finest goes to the movies honestly chris how shocking is it that we started this show in october of 2019 and that since this show has launched we have not had a major mcu cinematic movie release since our inception that's just a crazy thing it's wild completely wild just a testament to how insane the last few years have been that's true but marvel's back man and we both saw black widow of course we're gonna kind of break it down for you guys give us our thoughts and of course we're not professionals at this but you know if you pay us enough we will be so jesse it's true what'd you think about the movie like overall let's just start big Overall, okay, so let's back up a little bit. Nothing too detailed here. Yeah, because we'll save that for our deep discussion. But going into the movie, my expectations were low just because I knew this movie was kind of an afterthought for the Marvel MCU team, unfortunately. But I was actually super excited about the idea of Natasha finally having her own movie. I will say that. Yes. And I was kind of worried about are they just going to kind of do a run of the mill? James Bond action type spy movie that just happens to be in the MCU and then, you know, kind of fit Natasha's storyline into that. That's what I was worried about. So going into it, I was thinking, okay, we're almost at 25 movies in the MCU now. If this isn't the top of the lower third, I'm probably happy. Ideally, I want it to be in the middle. Right. And, and no way did I think it'd be in the top third because we've talked about on the show a little bit, you and I have, Chris, we haven't made our list, which I think we'll have to do in a future episode, but. We have talked about the powerhouses that are in the top third of that 25 movies of the MCU, and I didn't think it was going to be there, but I was hoping it'd be kind of in the middle, but I was kind of expecting it to be in the bottom third. What about you? I expected it to be upper bottom third. That's exactly what I expected. Right. Um, 
I was also okay with that because it's only really the bottom few movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I didn't, I don't actually enjoy. Sure. I'm just a big mark and I know it and it's okay. But it came in a little higher for me than I, I thought it would. Overall, I had a great time. I wish I could have seen it in theaters, but not everything's perfect yet. I did get to see it in theaters, which I did highly enjoy. My theater was implementing like social distancing measures and also, you know, Tulsa's in a really awesome spot with COVID-19, which is a which is a good thing. But I did get to see it on the big screen, which for me is kind of a MCU must because of so much spectacle. Though I will say this movie is a lot lighter on spectacle than the other MCU movies until it's bombastic ending, which we'll talk about later. But it is a lighter spectacle, lighter visual fantasy element movie. But it was still fun to see on the big screen. And Jesse, I'm excited to talk about each and every one of those points. But first, we've got to take care of a little business. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Of course, our patrons support us on Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. Once again, Chris, segments like this and the news segment that we've recently added into our show in recent months are only possible because of the patrons, because you and I are fitting these sessions in outside of our normal format. So if you like this sort of content, if you want to hear more about the MCU, if you want to hear more about lore and comics, return to that commentary series of the movies and continue the news episodes, the Patreon is the number one way to keep us going and supporting us doing that. And we always thank each and every one of our patrons. And I I honestly mean that from the bottom of my heart. And this week, we're going to send out a very special, special thank you to Charlie S. Charlie? Thank you so much. And of course, we cannot forget to thank the producers of this very show. That's the Avenger producers, Zach Attack and Rusty. Thank you. Thanks, boys. All right, Chris, let's talk about our full Black Widow movie discussion and review. This is your spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about the movie. We are going to be spoiling the movie. There's been no major spoilers to this point. So go watch it and come back or revisit this episode after you watch it. That would be fantastic. Or just listen. It's all good, man. Absolutely, Chris. And I'm going to start with the fact that Black Widow was supposed to come out in early 2020. And it was pushed back many, many times. And I think that's important to know when you frame this movie, because I think I think some of the context of what was happening in the world and what was happening with Marvel at the time and kind of how this was supposed to kick off, this was supposed to like start a new feel for Marvel before all the TV shows came out, but it didn't. And things kind of got switched around. So this was supposed to come out before Falcon and Winter Soldier and then WandaVision and then Loki. That order got all mixed up, as we very well know now. WandaVision just being done by the nature of pre-pandemic and, you know, right in the early phase of the pandemic came out first, then Falcon and Winter Soldier, then Black Widow and Loki around the same time. So it's kind of an interesting thought to frame this discussion because something like the MCU where everything's kind of built into being connected, tied together, it's almost like we're watching a giant show through movies and TV shows now. It's strange. It's the strange way the world went and it's kind of hopefully going to be the only time this happens, Chris, I think. They weathered the storm really well, but it was a strange time there. Well, and there's more to that story. The reason this movie didn't even get 
going to this point is because of, you know, Ike Perlmutter, crappy dude. But that's all we'll say on that one. But the fact that this movie even came out is kind of a light miracle. I, f- I feel like it was just <laughs> co- production hell, COVID hell, right. jerk hell. Theaters being closed, yeah. Yeah, just everything. That was all kind of in its corner going into sure. watching the movie for me. I had a lot of uh, sympathy. I guess I had a lot of meta sympathy for the movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was pretty good. It was a nice, fun action family adventure of sorts. I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, Chris, you brought up some valid points with like this movie even being made. I think it's worth mentioning because I do think it's a pro that it was made. I do think it's a con that it was made this late for obvious reasons. <laughs> Natasha should have got her movie pre her death in Endgame. Once again, spoilers, but it's like, if this happened before her death, before that faded scene with her and Hawkeye on Voromir, the impact would be even greater and more effective and more dramatic. And it's just truly a misstep for all the reasons, as we know, but it it is what we have now, and I'm happy we have it. But it's just so unfortunate, Chris, because you and I even talked off mic about this. What if we got this movie immediately after Civil War, even pre-Black Panther or anything, like, right? Like, if we got this movie at that moment in the timeline when this movie actually takes place, when Natasha's on the run, when Steve's on the run, we don't really know what's happening. And also there's a lot of similar filmmaking decisions and creative design in this movie that are also in Winter Soldier. So it would be kind of a fun companion piece to Winter Soldier to watch back to back. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. I am looking forward to watching these movies kind of together as you know, a duo movie in some ways. It's like, here's Steve's story during this spy time, and here's Natasha's, and they kind of return to it much later with Falcon and Winter Soldier. But I don't know. I think that was a misstep from Marvel, and I think it's okay to be critical there because, as you said, some crappy people stopped some things a long time ago. And also, I just think sometimes, you know, movie studios make mistakes, and hopefully they learn from them. The MCU's done a pretty good job thus far of correcting its mistakes mm-hmm. with each movie. But let's get into a little bit more meat here. Let's talk about the casting. Oh, yes, please. Well, before you even talk about the casting, Chris, I will say this movie is directed by Kate Shortland, and the writers were Eric Pearson and Jack Schaefer. So just important going into this movie, these were all new Marvel people making this and you know, new voices are good. And of course, with that came casting. So of course we have Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, but the rest of the cast, Chris is completely new members. I think some standouts right off the bat were Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, Natasha's sister. And then we had Rachel Vice as Melina and David Harbour as Alexi, the red guardian. This is the primary family of the movie. Obviously there's more characters and casting than this but i think this is kind of the basis of the movie for good reason absolutely is good reason we got three excellent performances from all three of these actors and i've heard it said i don't know that i agree with this one that uh pew outshone johansson so much that that scar joe should be upset about it i i've been not upset no yeah i i would disagree with going that far but i, I would almost say it was probably by design as it's as you're saying, you agree that she did outshine Scarlett she, Johansson. She did. She did, yeah. yes. Florence Pugh just kind of stole the show. She absolutely did. She was really, really great. Yeah, killer Russian accent, too. Absolutely. But once again, I believe that was by design because we're pretty clearly getting the mantle of Black Widow 
passed down to Florence Pugh. It's probably true, Chris. That still kind of hurts. It's tough for me, though, because it's like it hurts because this is sometimes when the MCU bums me out. Because sometimes main characters and stories kind of suffer for the greater narrative of connecting tissue. And this is one of those movies, I think, without a doubt. I think anyone that sees this would agree this wasn't like more like a Winter Soldier type movie where it's like Steve and Bucky's movie and it's very clearly just rooted in that. That's what I was hoping it would be with Natasha. But it was more kind of like you said, a passing of the torch connective tissue movie. And that's kind of hard to wrap your head around when it's called Black Widow, even though I know Florence Pugh is going to be the new Black Widow. I do understand that. But it's just kind of a bummer because, like I said, knowing Natasha dies makes the sting feel different. I don't know. It's like if she did, if we knew she was still going to be around, it's like, oh, that's fine. That's all right. We'll get more. And it's like, no, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson has, has really been kind of, I don't know, the Chris Bosch of the whole MCU. It's true sacrificed a little bit of her game so everyone else could shine that much more elevated those around her her and hawkeye both 100 percent. but that's also for hawkeye that's kind of the character (laughs) it fits that he's that way in the movies too but well and alternatively like hawkeye got some incredible moments like in age voltron where it's like they're going with this ultimate universe hawkeye where he has a family he has kids he has a farm that he maintains you know he's got this quiet life and then of course we see that turned on its head in the beginning of endgame when he got the worst dice roll of anyone on the planet when it was 50 50 dice rolls and his entire family and all of his kids gone it's a bummer to me that we didn't get little snippets of more of natasha before this movie because of that i know we got some in age voltron we saw some red room stuff they talked about like the things they did to her to make her who she was. We just needed a little bit more, you know? And I'm happy we got this movie because of that. Moving on, though, Chris, let's talk about the parents before we get into the story. Rachel Weiss and David Harbour. What do you think about that? David Harbour kind of stole every scene he was in. He stole the movie despite having the least impact on the story of any character. And that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, not only that, he's like kind of overtly a like bad person. <laughs> they make that kind of like obvious he, though they do they do and they give him a very genuine heart heartfelt moment there at the end but he's not someone that you're supposed to be able to root for but david harbour is so charismatic that you end up doing it it's it's ridiculous it's uncanny it's great he's incredible i i, I don't even know it's like He's on screen with like a legend like Rachel Weiss, and it's like he's been acting so much less in the modern eye than her. And it's like he's not missing a beat. It's fine. His story is so interesting to me, Chris, that he got into film acting so late in his life. I find that so compelling. And why? He's so good at it. <laughs> like, why did it take him this long to get on TV shows and movies? I will never know. But I'm happy that he spent his youth doing plays and some of the other things he did in his life to prepare for where he is now, but it seems like he's a veteran on there and he really isn't. And uh, you're right. Alexi steals the show. Alexi is like the heart of the film. He's in a lot of ways of the family elements. And of course the comedy though, I'll say Chris for an MCU movie, this movie is a lot lighter on comedy. Almost David Harbour's most of the comedy. And that gives it a lot more grounded realism. It does. Hugh's got some moments, some comedic moments, but no, you're absolutely right. Natasha has been a more serious character on screen. Yeah. Generally does, you know, action or something genuine, but not not often is she in a comedic moment. So it kind of makes sense that that would hold true for her movie as well. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right, with the subject matter. And let's get into that subject matter. So the movie starts off, Chris, with 
I thought the coolest and most compelling part of the movie, which was the first half and even namely the first third of the first half, which is where Natasha's with her family in suburbia in the 80s, 90s, and kind of sort of they've been found out and they need to leave. We don't necessarily know that they're Russian agents until they leave and actually arrive in Russia. But we see some heroic moments from mom and dad, but also we see some pretty heroic moments from Natasha and her sister as well. And it's, it was one of the most dramatic. And I talked with this with some of my group after we got out of the theater. I think it was one of the most dramatic grounded scenes in all of the MCU movies, this opening scene. And it was actually pretty long and extended too. And then we have the entire montage of that really dark macabre cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit with all the Red Room training and brainwashing of the girls after that. So it's kind of like, what an intro and what a heavy load straight up the front. It really does let you know what you're getting into. And you're absolutely correct. That intro was just very well done. That was probably the best acting in the whole movie as yeah. well. Very, very well done. Hard to top that with the rest of the movie because it, it <laughs> kind of just, well, it just kind of settles into yeah. its lane of street level MCU character movie. We've, we've had these before. We know what to expect by now. Yeah. And, and this, this lived up to every expectation. It was good. But I mean, that, that intro was really setting up something quite special. And I wasn't sure where it was really going until it went there. And, it, you know, <laughs> oh, man. I know it's rough. The movie is just kind of a like bad downhill ride. It's from the beginning. Yeah. The beginning definitely is mm-hmm. the peak. And that's kind of not the way the MCU movies are typically designed, you know, which is strange. Also, got to mention, you know, I'm sure it was ILM, but that de-aging on David Harbour and Rachel Weisz. Very good. Knock it out of the park. So let's talk about the movie. So we have kind of the montage of the girls being trained and kind of Lexi selling them into this red room. And like you said, Chris, he's not framed great early on at all. Well, he's he's the antithesis of Captain America. He's right. He's he's (laughs) the opposite of of Captain America in so many ways. Oh, absolutely. All the way down to his core where he's completely self-centered and focused only on himself and Cap's completely focused on the needs of others. It's very basic right on the surface. And then you get into more details. I was going to say you get into the communism versus capitalism detail and how Cap is more of an embodiment of the spirit of of socialism, whereas right. greed is good over here, you know, Gordon Gecko. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, detour there. Detour, but, very yeah, good. Uh, go, ahead, go ahead and get back on the plot there. Well, let's talk about the first hour of the movie, Chris, after the intro, which I think is by far the weakest part of the entire movie, namely because as someone who really loves movies and cinema and something I really got to talk about on the show, but movies are one of my great passions and writing and the elements of a story and all these things. What disappointed me about this movie is the first hour. Natasha is not a driving force in the story or a person that makes things happen in the story. She is just a observer. And when other characters come around and say, this is happening, she goes, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm observing the story. That's not good storytelling. It is world building, and I understand that. And it is kind of setting up what we'll see later. But like you said, maybe some of this is a symptom of the disease, which is keeping the MCU tied together and making sure we get the entire backstory of Natasha's whole family. And more importantly, Yelena, 
because we're going to return to them in the future. We're not returning to Natasha. So she can't be an active protagonist. There's a lot of things going on, but it's a bummer because it just kind of seems like a pretty ordinary movie until you get about an hour in. And then Natasha starts making decisions alongside her sister to forward the plot. That's when it gets good. When they go get Alexi, for instance, that's kind of the beginning of the movie. Unfortunately, it's an hour in. (laughs) So minus that intro up to an hour, it's kind of like, a lot of just passively observing world building in the plot and you're being told things and Tasha's not doing anything. This is the Iron Man two and three problem, by the way, the X two problem. Absolutely. I mean, X three, sorry, <laughs> but taskmaster does show up a little bit during this first hour. Well, and let's talk about taskmaster. Of mm-hmm. course, we just covered taskmaster on the show. We did. And I was extremely excited about taskmaster in this movie. While Taskmaster, the look, the way Taskmaster moved, all of these things, really cool. The fighting styles of our iconic heroes we see in the MCU. Like Taskmaster does the Ike Bucky knife trick, and then the iconic Black Panther claws, and even the iconic cap defensive stance. You see all the elements there, you know, even the Hawkeye string in the bow. Yep. It's all there, Chris. But unfortunately, it's a lot of flash. And the flash is really pretty, but the substance from what we did on Taskmaster of the deeper story, unfortunately, is not really there. Well, there is a a positive spin to this. And of course, we were all a little disappointed by the character reveal on uh, Taskmaster, not because it was a woman, mostly because it was a child. Makes it feel bad. Yes, it, it makes it feel bad. I think that's a great way to put that. It's like, oh, she survived, but he forced her to be... This monster. Yeah. 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 I don't like that. I don't like that either. But the positive spin here can be that we now have this character from a very early point in their origin True. to tell stories going forward. So maybe a step backwards in a sense for Taskmaster in this movie for a potential leap forward, though I don't work for Marvel. I know nothing. It just could be a very cool thing. Absolutely. It's what I would do. Positive spin on that. A a positive thing that could come from something a little bit disappointing. I I think it's the exact same thing, Chris, with Alexi and Milena. Like, as in Scarlett Johansson's fake Russian parents who are her her adoptive parents who hopefully will return in the MCU in some way because they clearly live and get away by the end of the movie. And we know her sister... That's a whole nother thing. But I'm saying like in the way of even cameos and stuff, if we get David Harbour, if we get Rachel Weiss back, those are just victories for the MCU, truly. You know, it's one of those things like this is when the connective tissue actually works for the better. It's a great opportunity to maybe take a slight detour from the comic books and make Red Guardian maybe a bigger deal in the MCU than he ever was in the comic. And I I know he's been around in the comics a little bit. Uh, I haven't read much of it, but that'd be cool. Make a miniseries. Why not? Why not make him a reoccurring low-level bad guy that just kind of keeps showing up? Or like you said, give him a series. Maybe he can rediscover that goodness that was in him earlier, that that fervor, that righteous fervor. That'd be really compelling. So getting back to the story, Chris, so the first hour does kind of meander, but when the plot really kicks in, you know, after Black Widow and her sister team up and start kind of pursuing this goal of tracking down the Red Room, that's when the action really kicks in. That's when we return back to Alexi, as we've been talking about 
a lot with him in prison getting tattoos on his back as he's arm wrestling people. Not very realistic at all, but he's doing it. No. <laughs> if anyone's gotten a tattoo, that's not how it works. But he is breaking people's arms, which, once again, feeds into the character, Chris, like you said. He's a superhero. Yeah. He is. He's a super soldier. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. It is cool seeing a new version of a super soldier that's not quite young and spry as some of the super soldiers we've seen, though we did see some elements of that in Falcon War Soldier, though this was supposed to come before that. But it is cool to see more iterations of that. But, you know, the plot really kicks off then. And I think that's kind of like our main story, right, is finding the Red Room and finding Drakeoff. Yeah, getting the band back together. They're on a mission from God. You know the deal. There is a deal, yeah. And I do like that Black Widow's now an active member of the story and forwarding the plot and all these things. And I do love her relationship with her sister because it is very tense early on. And I will say, Chris, a lot of the best scenes in the movie are just her and her sister talking, hanging out, talking, joshing each other, having beers, talking about being an Avenger and not being an Avenger. The amount of people they've killed and how they do or do not regret that, you know, there's interesting, compelling stuff here. Very wonderful character development, really transferring that emotional attachment you have for Natasha onto Yelena. I I mean, if they pull this off, if they can iron on that love we have for Natasha and just transfer that right over, that'll be absolutely huge for this next overarching phase of the MCU. I couldn't agree more, Chris, and I think a lot of those scenes were that very thing, right? Oh, yeah. And like you were saying earlier, the connective tissue, this is a connective movie. That's that's what this movie is. And it's just, you just got to know that going in and grade it accordingly. And if it's not your thing, I you know, if this movie really graded at you, I would almost say, don't go see the next iteration of Black Widow. Sure. Ant-Man 3, I think, is going to be a banger, but... You know. <laughs> I did too. I think Ant-Man 1 and 2 were simply around to facilitate Ant-Man 3, honestly. But Chris, I mean, like you talked about Yelena passing a torch to her. I mean, Florence Pugh is just, she's brilliant. I I think she's one of those actresses. She came out guns blazing. She's kind of knocked it out of the park. I mean, she's been in movies and been perfect in every movie I've seen her in. It's kind of out of control. Like even movies like Little Women and Midsummer, and even simple movies like simpler movies that are just dramas like Fighting with My Family. She was even in King Lear. Like she's been in all these like dramatic, serious roles and and a lot of them indie films. And it was kind of a crazy thing for me for the MCU to just be like, that's our next Black Widow. They kind of didn't go the full like ScarJo route. They went it, they went it like a, oh, she's been in a lot of A24 movies and they've gotten critical <laughs> acclaim because of her acting. Get her. But isn't that how ScarJo became a star in the first place mm-hmm. though became a popcorn star right you're saying like right she she got to being that by doing the lost in translations absolutely. and other Boleyn girl and you know movies like that where she was excellent yeah she was an excellent actor in those movies now what's tough about black widow is like you've got to be obviously a great actress but also a very physical actress and it's that thing we talked about chris with our punisher casting You've kind of got to have a feel and a look, unfortunately. I mean, it's just part of it because these are conditioned characters that, as they talk about in the movie, have assassinated some of the great leaders of the world and all these sort of things. And Florence Pugh, we've seen her in one movie, and I think she kind of cemented the role by the end, which is just a crazy thing. It's crazy to say. And how great is it that we get to see her returning to that role so quickly? I think that is another unintended positive from the aforementioned problems that this movie's had to date that we now get 
Florence Pugh just so quickly after the release of this movie so that she's going to still be on people's minds. She's going to still be being talked about by various content creators across the world. Striking while the iron's hot is not something that can usually happen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, given the length of productions that these these usually are. So I I think this is very great for Florence Pugh and for the Black Widow mantle. Sure. Uh, just kind of impeccable timing as luck would have it. And of course, Chris, you're referencing, we're jumping all over the place here, which is very exciting. You're referencing post-credits of the movie, which is where Florence Pugh's at Black Widow's grave in present right. day, you know, way, way after the events of Civil War, which is around the time Black Widow takes place. Yeah. I am talking to everyone as if you've all seen the movie. Of course. And I'm, I'm sorry. That's just, that's the way that we're going to get the best episode here. Well, and we get Valentina show up again. So, like, let's talk about that because they're doing a through line here with Madame Hydra stuff. And I'm here Julia. for it. <laughs> I'm here for Julia. Julia. Louise <laughs> Dreyfus, man. So cool. You and, talk about great casting. Goodness. Uh, and I, you know, I am so excited to see what movie she is is kind of her yeah breakout movie you know something that the mcu is really great about is giving us good villains and thanos of course being the absolute best example of this but what we're getting here is this this kind of thanos style build yeah to madame hydra in whatever whatever movie or show she's going to get the most like you know it's going to be her production I'm very excited for that. I mean, even if Madame Hydra's around Chris just through the way she is right now, which is just her pulling the strings for many years, I'm into that. I'm very into that. Oh, yeah. Until she makes her appearance into a full-fledged show or movie. Like, who knows, man? Like, there could be MODOK and live action. <laughs> like, there's crazy things. I have some guesses, but yeah, you know, we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. So, getting back to the movie, we have, like, the third act, which is really the third act we have in every MCU movie, which is the the spectacle, the action, usually the fantasy elements, not so much in this movie. And, you know, conflict. There's a lot of that in this third act, but it's different. The family gets captured, and then they actually all work together after they get taken up to the airship, you know, the airbase, whatever it's called, where the Red Room is. So speaking of the third act, I, I, have, a, <laughs> I have a question here. Uh-huh. That j- this giant floating... <laughs> Red room. Red room. How how does no one know about this? I don't know. You think at least Nick Fury would know about it, right? I am the best at suspending my disbelief. Same. I am a professional wrestling fan. Ooh, yeah. Okay? I couldn't that it was hard for that one to slide. It just was. It it took me out of things. Well, for a movie that's pretty grounded, it, it is a very shocking and strange thing. It just didn't make sense. And that's another thing. I that's think kind of the, the movie... The, you're summarizing this third act, Chris. There's a lot of over-suspending well, of disbelief in this third act with the action in particular. What was the point of having Natasha bounce off of corners and things that clearly would have broken her spine? Right. What does that accomplish? Like, I don't think that that... People that like the Fast and Furious movies got a different movie that they like too. I just, I mean, at least give an explanation of like, ah, this Tony Stark designed body armor can take so much punishment. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But that was sprinkled throughout the movie and it always just took it, took me out of it. I, I would have rather things been way more grounded in a more grounded way, much like they were grounded in Falcon and Winter Soldier, the Disney plus 
show. Absolutely. I thought that that show did a great job with the action was a little light, but when there was action, it was pretty good and it was pretty believable. Yeah, it was grounded despite them being super soldiers and, you know, they had limits and that was good. And, you know, Sam and Bucky didn't feel invincible either. And that's what I liked. I liked that Sam and Bucky felt like they could be in harm's way mm-hmm. at given times. Yes. That's what makes yes. me enjoy the street level stuff more. When the street level stuff feels like they're as powerful as Thor, it, it just feels off. It loses something. Yeah. It does because we're not watching fantasy. And so when you see fantasy on the screen, it doesn't add up. But when you see fantasy in a fantasy story like Thor, it works. It's just complicated like that. To me personally, it it is a complete throwback to the Fox and Sony early superhero movies of weird, tiny decisions that clearly happened in a boardroom of people that thought comic books were for, you know, children exclusively or people that had never read the subject matter. It just kind of, it kind of reeks of that type of decision, even though I know it's not. I'm not accusing anyone in the production of this movie of being that way. It just, it put me in that mindset. Again, it reminded me of those kind of baffling decisions in Spider-Man, in the X-Men movies. Fantastic Four movie. Oh gosh, goodness. Chris Evans has come very far. I mean, he was the Human Torch first. He he passed the mantle, but he became Captain America. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I mean, it is very, it's hard because it takes you out of it. Like you said, it takes you out of it. And it also seems like a step back for the MCU because this is a discussion I haven't even had on the show yet. And I think it's a really interesting discussion, but you know, everyone on the show knows I'm a huge Marvel fan, not Chris's level, but a huge Marvel fan, especially when it comes to certain licenses like Spider-Man and the X-Men in particular and many others. But it's like, when the formula becomes such a thing, I started getting really winded of the superhero format. I'm talking pre-Black Panther. He absolutely did. I remember talking to you about this. And yeah. it was kind of a bummer. Now, keep in mind, pre-Black Panther, that's before Infinity War. That's before the new Spider-Man. That's before Endgame. That's before Thor Ragnarok. Are we seeing a trend here? I mean, the only thing that was a standout around that time that was something different dynamic and not following the formula was guardians of the galaxy one and that was keeping me going because it was so dynamically different story-wise but the problem with this chris and we see this in black widow is the mcu got comfortable with their formula making them popcorn money and what's weird you can see traces of this in black widow because this was made before the mcu shows but it was made after endgame so it's it's very strange to see them say we're going to take a step back in our dynamic story elements and being a little daring especially with the third act they kind of took a step back there especially if you keep in the fact that the russos did infinity war and endgame and then you add the factor that we've seen two shows before this that were incredibly different and dynamic for the most part, WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And they don't even have to be that dynamically different from the MCU. But like you said, Chris, the subtle changes they made, even Falcon and Winter Soldier, which was more MCU than WandaVision and Loki, clearly. The realism and the moments that they were letting things breathe and they were kind of giving the audience time to percolate on ideas that they weren't doing in the movies it was there it was there and that show was the most mcu so it's weird because when we watch black widow now we watch it through the lens of well we've seen guardians we've seen winter soldier the movie we've seen thor ragnarok and then we've seen infinity war and endgame and then we've seen these great three shows and then we watch this and it's almost like oh we're back at like a well-made thor 2 or iron man 2 we're back at ant-man 1 yeah (laughs) we're back at like 2009 
And we're in 2021, going in 2022. That is an excellent, excellent point. Maybe this is this movie was the swan song of you know the Thanos act, the Thanos face. Maybe this this storytelling is is gone now. We've moved into a new era. I think we have. I really do think we have. It just seems weird that it's like the timing of it is wrong. Because like we talked about, if this yeah. story was even after Winter Soldier, which would still be a harder pill to swallow, because that was a pretty different movie. I always thought it was a super cool like we got a based in realism captain america bond film that's what i think about that movie if this was around that time it would be much better it just would it was pre like letting people like taika waititi do something very dynamically different with thor ragnarok or like the russo brothers doing something as crazy as infinity war and endgame kind of this opus of two three-hour movies that are six hours together and then you add the fact we're coming off the heels of wandavision falconer soldier and now loki which has just shattered everything in the way of compelling new storytelling and it it does the movie a disservice and i hate that because it's it's an issue of timing it's an issue of like you said chris people holding this movie back that should come out a decade ago and it'd be more suited with these movies that came out a decade ago i mean we'd have completely uh, different castings so that's true i don't know it's it's not a bad movie you and i've talked about this it's just no. underwhelming and that's not what i wanted as natasha's last hurrah and i think that's a fair thing to say I wanted this to be more of a celebration of everything that had happened to that point, maybe in a way that the kind of Loki episode one kind of was, you Ooh, know? Good good reference, yeah. But, you know, overall, yeah, it's not bad. And I do really look forward to seeing it in sequential order. Absolutely. As we watch everything back, starting with Captain America, kind of as it happens in timeline, I guess, is what I should be saying. Yeah. Timeline order, Chris, is really fun. I've been doing that recently. Been really enjoying myself watching in the timeline order. In fact, Disney Plus has a playlist of timeline order, which is crazy. So I hope they slot Black Widow in that in the future, right after Civil War, where it should be. You know, add to those stakes of Cap and Natasha in hiding pre Black Panther, pre Infinity War. Just, just build that tension when they come on screen in Infinity War. When you see Black Widow and Cap come out of the shadows, fighting Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. Man, what a moment, too, after all the events that have transpired before that, you know, especially now that we know Natasha's kind of actively chose to part ways with her family to go back to the Avengers. It definitely brings a level to that shot that it previously did not have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's going to be very fun to revisit. I don't know. I just, it's wild that that phase is over. It's crazy, right? Just like kind of as a whole retrospective. Like, do you remember when Iron Man came out? I do. This is beyond anything we could have imagined. We just hoped that it wouldn't suck. And it was so good. No, I remember seeing it in theaters. It was a big deal. Saw it a couple times. It was just a crazy thing. Second time I saw it, I saw it with my wife and she had had her, had her wisdom teeth taken out. So she had a blast the second viewing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things like, who would have known? And, you know, John Favreau laying the groundwork, being a writer director and saying, you know what? I think we should bring Iron Man to the world and, you know, give him 20 years. And he says, you know what? We should make Mando. <laughs> He's he's a genius. Who is this man? <laughs> he's yeah. he's a genius. And then him pulling Dave Filoni right in to do Mando. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. And we should let him do more projects. And him being happy too, him being an actual part of the MCU is just a great, great element. Uh, it's it's all very good things. And you know, 
he's the one who brought Natasha Romanoff into the story as well with Iron Man 2. You know, her debut scene is her actually taking Happy, John Favreau, down in the wrestling ring. That's her debut scene into the Marvel MCU, you know, as Tony's assistant. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But, you know, it's pretty cool. I'm happy that we've got the conclusion of this character. And like you said, Chris, this phase, it wasn't perfect, but it was enjoyable. I'm actually most excited to see more of the returning cast, you know, Natasha's family. We say in quotes, her fake Russian family. Bring David Harbour back as Red Guardian. You're absolutely right. Because we know we're getting why not her sister. I mean, we've got seeds of Young Avengers all over the place now, Chris, too. There's so many characters we could we could use to bring in. You're right. Red Guardian. It, I mean, think about when the mutants come. Right. Colossus will be a huge part of whenever they do giant size X-Men and bring those characters in. Think about Omega Red coming in. Think about how much of the weapon X program, you know, it's it's in Canada, it's in it's in Siberia. I mean, this is a crazy look, man. Time, Chris. He could show up in a lot of movies in the future if they wanted it to happen. There are many many story elements for it to to naturally occur, be complete surprises, and not really upset the comic nerds too bad. Crazy things are happening. I mean, you and I were talking about this just off mic. Fox and Disney have settled a lot of their disputes financially and just character licensing wise. Obviously, it's why we have Tom Holland Spider Man at all. And the things are bright in the future, like Chris with Spider Man, X Men, all these things that Fox has had a license on for so long that they are willing to, you know, share with Disney. And there's crazy things happening. Like there's just things that are blowing our my mind that do not make sense right now. Where it's like a sing vulture from Spider-Man 1 in the Morbius trailers is a crazy thing that makes no sense right now. And, but it also is like, okay, there's that, there's those handshakes. I see them, you know, I see the money of Venom coming into the MCU. There's a lot of money there and it's going to happen. A lot of money there. Honestly, if the Morbius movie is literally to facilitate Venom coming to the MCU, I would not be surprised at all. That's enough reason right there for them to make that. But it, it, there's things happening, you know? Like you said, Peter Colossus coming into the MCU would be a dream of mine. He's become a favorite character of mine over the years. The older I get, the more I love him. He's just that perfect light side guy. I love him. He's a man of the people. He's a man of the people. And he, gosh, him in the MCU would be a great addition. But who knows? We can only wait. We can only be excited. It's crazy, Chris, that we have a new phase that's about to open up and tear things open in the MCU quite literally, with Ant-Man 3, with Doctor Strange, fabric of the universe potentially breaking in these movies, because just from the titles alone. Secret Wars, anyone? Secret Wars, definitely. There's a lot of things happening. We even know simple shows like shows about S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Scrolls, Scroll Invasion, and then, you know, Iron Lad, all these little things, you know, everywhere. You and I talked about in our MCU news roundup discussion if you haven't checked that episode out check it out because we kind of go through every single announcement and what it possibly might mean because we don't know right now what we do know chris is the next major mcu event after loki which is now over is the what if show which is animated which is going to explore so many things that we've never even got to explore ever in the mcu and then it's hawkeye i am beyond excited <laughs> those are gonna be fun hawkeye oh hawkeye is gonna be out of control what if you know the animation style doesn't really do it for me. Okay. That kind of cell shading. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. I'll watch it every week. It will probably grow on me much like Clone Wars grew on me. So, you know, let me let me complain for a second and it'll be fine. 
Fair enough. And I'm happy Clone Wars grow on you because I think it's one of the, I think it's a gorgeous art style. I really do. Who's the one that is caught up on Bad Batch in this conversation, <laughs> sir? It's true. Thank goodness that's Clone Wars art style and not Rebel. It's so good. It's the next evolution of the Clone Wars art style and not Rebels art style, which I'm very, very appreciative of. The Pixar Rebels art style for me was a departure from the artistic Clone Wars art style. Rebels art style was not great. Too squishy, you know? That's a good way to put it. That's better than I was going to say. So, yeah. (laughs) And I love Pixar. It's just the line was crossed, you know? All right, Chris. Well, that's our thoughts on Black Widow, the movie, and our quick review. We've got a lot of thoughts. We had a fun time. We definitely think you should see it. It's just definitely in that bottom third of the MCU. And I would say, Chris, it's probably the top of the bottom third or the middle on its worst day of the bottom third. And that's okay. I'll have to do my whole list to really figure that out. But it's, it sounds right. There's a lot of movies. It's tough. It's really tough. And now we know yep. things going forward, you know, that kind of make those past movies more impactful. I'm looking at you, Thor The Dark World. It's gotten way better recently for a lot of good reasons. I believe that. Because there's some story elements and recent things that are tying to that. So, But this has been a fun episode of Furious Finest where we do not talk about Marvel Christ Protocol at all. Though I would like to maybe see Red Guardian in the game one day, Chris. That'd be very exciting. That'd be cool. And the people out there that have turned your corset caps into Red Guardians, you are awesome. I recently saw a guy the other day that even did the green stuffed beard. David Harbour beard. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So good. So good. But that's going to be it for us today in Fury's Finest. Of course, our show is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. We are on social media. We talk about it every week. Not as aggressively this week, but we are on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram at Facebook at Fury's Finest. If you have any questions, email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com. And leave us reviews on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us out. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Upon you listening to this, I will be either overjoyed about who the Oklahoma City Thunder drafted or devastated. There's that NBA knowledge again, like we talked about last episode. Of course, you can follow me, Jesse, on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N where I mainly post pictures of my daughter these days. But, you know, I used to post a ton of tabletop content all the time, and I'm getting back into that more recently. Until next time, thanks for listening, True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything will surprise me. Tin Buck says you're wrong. 